This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, guest speaker Pastor Lee Cummings shares a message entitled, Stronger, Positioning Our Lives for Impact. Grab your Bible and notepad as Pastor Cummings begins right now. If you brought a Bible with you, turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, and the message I'm going to bring to you is entitled, Stronger, Positioning Your Life for Impact. You know, it doesn't matter where you are at on the spectrum of faith tonight, we all have room to grow stronger. And I will promise you this, that no matter where you are at, no matter what battle you are facing in life tonight... God's desire for you is that you would grow stronger in your faith. And the good news about that is God doesn't just desire that for you. He is the one who has all the grace that he can make abound to you so that that becomes more than a desire. It becomes a reality in your life. And so we're in the right place at the right time tonight. And I want to begin by reading Daniel chapter 1. And, uh, you know, Daniel chapter 1 is such an important chapter. I'm going to read most of this chapter. Follow along with me beginning in verse number 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family, of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. Azariah, he called Abednego. In verse number 8, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned you the food and your drink. For why should he see you that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. And then Daniel said to the steward of the chief of the eunuchs that had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance and the appearance of the other youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter, and he tested them for ten days. And at the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. 
want you to join with me in prayer. Lord, tonight we come before you and we are so grateful for your word that is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. Holy Spirit, would you speak a word in season to each and every one of us, calling us deeper into you, causing us to be stronger in you tonight. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So the story of Daniel, we all pretty much know it. You may have grown up with these names, very familiar. Doesn't matter how you learn the story of Daniel, it's a foundational story of our faith. And the whole story is wrapped up in the reality that these four young men were exiles. They were exiles that had been taken out of their own land, their own culture, their own faith, and they had been transported over 800 miles away to a radically and drastic different culture than what they had grown up. They had grown, in, grown up in a culture where the one true and the living God lived in the midst of his people in the temple, where there was a priesthood who worshipped one God. They were raised up as nobility of the lineage of David, of the house of David. They were the royal family, not just a royal family, like a secular royal family, but they were the people that were the carriers of the promise and the covenant looking forward to the time when Messiah would come. And there came a moment when, because of spiritual corruption in Israel, that Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian empire, was allowed by God to set siege and actually destroy Jerusalem. And out of all of the people that survived, they took the nobility and the young, and they marched them back to Babylon, and they assimilated them as exiles back into a radical just completely different culture. And that's what we are reading about in Daniel chapter 1, this process of them transforming these Jewish kids into Babylonians, these exiles. Now, when you read that story, you might think that must have, that must have just been a terrible experience for them to be exiles, to live in a land, to live in a culture that wasn't home to them, to feel out of step with everybody's values and their belief systems, to feel so far away from the old days that they knew of where the glory of God filled the city and the people and the promises were alive, different language, different religious beliefs. You might think that that sounds really challenging, but I want to tell you that you and I have far more in common with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel than you might have given credit for. Because you and I are exiles. In Peter, Peter writes this. He says, therefore, as exiles who are living here, make the most of your time. You and I are exiles from the kingdom of God, from the kingdom of heaven that are living on earth. And you and I, in our context, we're living in, as, as Christians, living in a North American 21st century, in some ways, post-Christian culture. And if we would have taken you from 20 years ago, you may only be 20, but if you're a little bit older than that, if 20 years ago somebody showed up on your doorstep from the future, like Marty McFly in Back to the Future, and said, let me describe to you what the future looks like, you probably would not have believed them. You probably would have thought, that could never happen. The things that you're describing that are going to take place in 2019, 2020, those things, I, I do not believe you. 
How many grew up in the 80s or were alive during the 1980s? Anybody in this place? I'm a child of the 80s. It's my decade. Nate and I grew up in the 80s. So some of you, you, you might have a different favorite decade, but the 80s are what I remember most. And my kids are all grown. I have three uh, adult children, 25, 24, and 21. And when I describe to them what life was like in the 80s, they just think like we're from Mars. It's like... Hey, when I grew up, we had phones that you actually stuck on the wall. And if you wanted to make a call, you had to like go to the wall, take it off of the receiver because it had a cord on it. And if you wanted to call, you had to shink Anybody remember that? Shink And the reason why you said hello when you answered the phone is because you really did not know who was on the other end. You were asking. Hello? Because you didn't know. Now we still say hello, but we know. If you wanted to talk to your girlfriend, you, we had a 20-foot-long cord on our phone that you would go down the hallway, close the door, and you would talk so that nobody could hear you. There was no texting. My kids are like, you're kidding me. Oh, how did you survive, Dad? I'm like, well, it gets worse. Because we had TVs that if you want to change the channel, you had to get up and walk to them. <laughs> Remember that? And we had like four channels. It was like 3, 8, 13, 17, and 41. That was it. And you had to like play with the rabbit ears to get the reception on it. Anybody remember that? And my cousin Kim, because it was the 80s, she had big old bangs that Aquanet It served like a satellite dish. We would ask her, hold on to the antenna because we get better reception when you're over there. <laughs> We're picking up Canadian channels. It's great. My kids are like, really? And, and the TV wasn't on 24 hours. Remember, they, they showed the Iwo Jima statue at midnight, and they played the Star Spangled Banner, and it went to snow on the screen. Come on, can I get a witness up in here anywhere for my pain and suffering? Thank you. I can tell who's under 30 right now. You're like. So if somebody had gone back into the 80s, when I was in high school and said, let me tell you what it's going to be like when your kids are teenagers and in their 20s. You're going to walk around with computers in your pocket that have 10 times the computing capacity of the computers that put a man on the moon. And you're going to carry that in your pocket. You're going to have 400 channels on television. You're going to have self-driving vehicles. We would have thought there's no way in the world that could take place. That's science fiction. If we would have been told about some of the cultural variations and deviations that our culture would take in the next 25 and 30 years, even in the church, we would have said there's no way. We would have said there's no way. And the reality, though, is it's happened slowly it's happened methodically, it's happened carefully, and whether we know it or not, as the church, as followers of Jesus, we have a lot in common with these exiles. We have a lot in common with their experience, because when we look closely at what took place when, when they were taken into Babylon, there was a methodical, systematic schemed strategy to assimilate these Jewish kids into a Babylonian culture. All the way down to, uh, number one, they start with their name. Look at, look at their names. 
If you look at their names, they were given Babylonian names. Hananiah in Hebrew means Yahweh is gracious. They changed Hananiah's name, gave him a Babylonian name to Shadrach, which means under the command of Aku, which was a Babylonian god of sexuality and fertility. Mishael means who is like Yahweh. They changed his name to Meshach, which means who is like Aku. They took Azariah, which meant Yahweh is my helper, changed it to Abednego, which means the servant of Nergal, the god of war and death. They took Daniel, which means Yahweh is my judge, and changed it to Belteshazzar, which means Bel, or the sun god, is great. They changed their identities. I know that names don't mean as much to us today, but in biblical times, names were wrapped up in identity, they were wrapped up in faith statements, and they were wrapped up in prayer wishes of the parents, statements, prophetic statements over their kids. And so when they brought them in, they immediately said, we're going to change your name so that your identity becomes Babylonian and not connected to the God of covenant that your forefathers taught you about. And then they sent them on an an entire re-education where they begin to teach them about all of the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding of Babylon. If you go back and you read history about Babylon, Babylon was a uh, pagan society, very powerful, very wealthy society, very wise. Most of astrology and some of the core black magic arts that permeated the rest of culture even to this day find their roots in Babylon. And they, they said, we're going to teach you for three years. They literally sent them to get a bachelor's degree in Babylonian paganism with a new name. These are probably in their early teens, 14, 15, 16-year-old kids. And they brought them in, and because of their nobility, because they have influence, because all the other Jewish exiles look at them and say, well, if they're doing it, it's okay. Because they're the influencers of their day, they selected them, and they brought them in, and they said, hey, not only are we going to re-educate you, not only are we going to give you, good, you new names, but we're, don't worry about it. We're going to put you up in the best place. We're going to give you the best food. We're going to give you all the wine that you want to drink, and your tuition is all paid for. We're going to put you in the king's palace, which is a great paying position. Think about all the things that they promised them. They, They promised them position, power, provision, stature, influence, and a future, all within Babylon. And the goal was if we can shift these young people, if we can get the culture of Babylon to become the strongest common cultural denominator in their life, then everybody else will shift with them. But I love what it says about Daniel. It says, when you jump down, verse number eight, it says, but Daniel had resolved that he would not defile himself with what? With the king's food or with his wine that he drank. And therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Literally, when it says that he had decided or he had resolved, in the original language, it means that he positioned his heart. He premeditatively positioned his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Why was that significant? Well, if you know anything about the Old Testament, 
the Jewish laws of Moses, 613 laws, a large part of them are dietary restrictions that said that you, you do not eat this and you eat this because you are my people. You are holy unto the Lord, set apart from all the other nations, and you belong to me. Therefore, do not eat what is unclean. Eat only what is clean. Do not take what is profane into yourself. And it would have been really easy for Daniel, for Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego to say, you know what? God forsook us. Where is the God of the miracles that we've all been taught our whole lives? He let us be captured. Now here we are in Babylon. It'd be like you and I living in New York City or someplace like that. Huge metropolitan city that we've never been to before. Where is God? God didn't save us. We're here. So we've just got to kind of do what we're told. Do you know in moments of intimidation, in moments of fear, in moments of confusion, that's where compromise breeds. It's like a bacteria. Compromise is a spiritual bacteria that breeds in the darkness of fear and intimidation. It would have been really easy for them to say, well, we just got to kind of go with the flow. We've got to do what everybody else is doing. We've got to compromise. But not Daniel. Daniel said, I am not going to defile myself. I've resolved it. I've settled it. I've positioned my heart in such a way, if it's up to me, I'm going to stay faithful to the Lord even in the midst of a Babylonian exile, even in the midst of living in a place that I don't fit in, even in the midst of a place where everybody else is going along with it. I've settled the issue in my heart that there are just some things that I will not compromise. There was a man out of England, his name was G.K. Chesterton. He was a great writer and really witty. He said this. He said, compromise is a virtue of a man who has no convictions. Compromise is a virtue of a man without convictions. You know, one thing that we can say about Daniel is he had deep convictions. And he also had favor on his life. You see, because he had positioned his heart, he wasn't trying to make that determination in the moment. Because he had premeditated it, God put favor on his life. And the chief eunuch allowed him to take a test. This was, the, this was the, the, the deal. He said, well, don't make me eat the king's food because it's, it's sacrificed unto idols and because it's unclean, it's probably pork. Daniel said, hey, just let me eat vegetables. That's where we get the Daniel fast from. I'm not going to eat the meat. I'm not going to drink the wine. Let me do it for 10 days. Hey, just give me 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, if I'm not better than the ones who ate the meat and the ones who drank the wine, then then I'll yield. And God put favor on his life. The chief eunuch said, okay, we're going to do it your way. You got 10 days. We're going to test you for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it says that he was better. That word better can be translated this way, stronger. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel, who had premeditated his convictions, he had consecrated his heart not to defile himself. When everybody else is eating beef and pork and this rich fare, and he's just eating vegetables, the favor of God was sustaining him. His decision not to defile himself was sustaining him. And when it was all said and it was all done at the end of 10 days, Daniel was stronger. Here's what I believe. I believe that if you and I 
can position our hearts. Doesn't matter whether you've been saved a week, you might be here and you don't, you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You, you may have a belief in God, there's some curiosity and some hunger in your heart, and you said, you know what, I, I think I want to go to church because I'm spiritually hungry. It doesn't matter if that's you, or it doesn't matter if you've been serving Jesus for 40, 50 years, like many of you have. Here's what I know, is that one day with Jesus can make you stronger than a lifetime without Jesus. And one decision Just one moment of resolution in our life to say, you know what, it doesn't matter what's going on in the world around me. It doesn't matter what is shifting. It doesn't matter what public consensus is. It doesn't matter what social media is purporting. It doesn't matter how many likes I'm getting. It doesn't matter how many dislikes I'm getting. It doesn't matter what my neighbor's doing. It doesn't matter what's on the news. I am making a resolution. I am making a premeditated decision that as far as it is for me as a follower of Jesus, as a believer in Jesus, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm going to establish my faith and I'm going to have the favor of God on my life and I'm going to be stronger. I really believe God wants to raise the church up in our day. Not to be the church that's just kind of hiding in the back room and, you know, standing in our, in our churches, hiding behind stained glass window, waiting for Jesus to return, defeated and beat up. I believe God's just waiting for a church that will step forward that has consecrated themselves to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, to shine brightly in the midst of a dark world, to demonstrate the goodness of our God. I believe he's just waiting for a people. I believe that there's a lost and dying world that's just waiting to see the church actually live out what we preach so well. I think the world's just waiting for somebody to make a stand and say, you know what, I'm I'm not going to be intimidated by what everybody else is saying. I'm not going to be shaped by the culture. I'm not going to receive the world's identity. I knew who I am in Jesus Christ. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I am reigning and ruling with him in heavenly places. I am the head and not the tail. I am first and not last. I am blessed coming in. I am blessed going out. I am blessed in the city. I am blessed in the country. All of his promises are pursuing me and overtaking me, and I'm just too blessed to be stressed. I'm just too blessed. I think the world's just waiting for somebody to, a a church, a, a movement of people, especially in our day, to make the decision that Daniel did. As far as it is up to me, I'm not going to defile myself. You know, what's interesting about Daniel's challenge that he gave to the eunuch is he says, give me 10 days. 10 in the Bible is always the number of testing. The tithe, which is the first tenth, is a test. When the children of God came into the promised land under Joshua, God said, Do not touch the city of Jericho or anything that is within it. Why? Because it was the first out of ten cities. God said, it's mine. Ten is the number of testing. And it was ten days that Daniel went through this test. Where in the natural, he should not have been stronger when it was all said and done. He should have been weaker. But it was a spiritual test. That's why in the New Testament, in James, it says, do not think it's strange 
Brethren, when you find yourself falling into various temptations and trials, it's the testing of your faith. In the book of Revelation, actually Jesus, when he's talking to the church in chapter 2, verse 10, he said, do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you may be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. 10 is the number of testing. It's specifically the testing of our faith. That's what we see in Daniel's 10-day test. And what happens is he comes out the other side of it stronger, full of the favor of God. And as we know from the rest of the book, God used Daniel not to be influenced by Babylonian culture, but to be a kingdom influence to Babylonian culture. Here's what was different about Daniel than anybody else. It's that even though he was in exile, the culture of the kingdom within him was stronger than the kingdom and the culture of Babylon around him. That's a question we have to ask ourselves. Is the kingdom of God, the culture of the kingdom in us Christian, is it stronger than any other influences of the culture around us? If we want to be used by God, to change a generation, if we want to be used by God to impact people that right now are far away from Christ, if we want to be used by God so that at the end of our lives we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, something on the inside of us, the kingdom culture has got to be stronger than any other influences. And the reality is that a lot, a lot of the church, if we're being honest, our convictions are much more shaped by Netflix and Hulu than they are Scripture. If we're, if we're just being transparent, we're shaped a whole lot more by social media and sports and education and all of these things. Of a Babylonian culture that we live in the middle of, I know that, you know, it's the good old United States of America. I love this nation. I love this country. It's the best place. I've been in a whole lot of nations, and there's no other nation on the face of the earth. But come on, can we just not kid ourselves? We're living as exiles in the middle of a culture that is increasingly deviating from scriptural Judeo-Christian principles. And we can either get upset about that, or we can look in the mirror and say, it's not up to culture to inform me about what God's word says. It is up to me to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I need my daily bread. I need it today. I need it every hour. I need to get it on the inside of me so that it shapes me. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services live every week. Check out emmanuelcc.org for details. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.